Podcast One production. Punchy, whacked, power, influence. Take me seriously because I've actually got some clout behind what I'm saying. Welcome to Women with Clout. <laughs> One of the most inspiring women that I've met in many years is Mona Mohammed, who I've got to know because she's running a program. She set up a community centre in Sydney's Bankstown and um, I've been helping to raise a bit of money to support it. So I've been there. She's an incredible woman, ex-teacher, just saw a need in the community to have a place where women and men could come together, learn some skills, get a connection. So many ex-teachers doing wonderful things out there in the world and so many current teachers doing wonderful things in schools. I'm very inspired to hear it. The other thing about Mona that's really interesting is she's had her own struggles with uh, mental health issues and that kind of thing and identity issues. And I bet, I'm from my own experience, you know, that's what gives you the empathy to realise and to recognise what other people in your community need. Absolutely. And that's one of the wonderful things about the centre, community mm. support services. It's offering something quite unusual for a not-for-profit. It's yeah. a wonderful story. Mona, you've spent a lot of time in the busy Bankstown area of Sydney's West. You've got a lot of family and work commitments, and yet you became aware that a lot of women around you were very isolated. How come you noticed that? And also, what kind of impact does isolation have, do you think, on women's lives? Well, it's funny that you mentioned that. I do have uh, six beautiful children. That's a lot, Mona. It is a lot. Mm. And two sets of twins. Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't planned, mind you. <laughs> However, I would, I would have to say just through bumping spaces at the bus station, in a playgroup, um, in different areas where I just happen to, to meet people, mm-hmm. particularly women who are playing at the park with their kids or, and for some reason they find a connection with me and open up. And it was something that was repeated continuously amongst them was, you know, the fact that they feel lonely, the fact they feel like they're, they're doing this on their own, whether they're a new migrant or someone who's been, who's taken time off work or perhaps someone who has no family who's moved from interstate and has no family or changed religions or whatever the, the, the common denominator seemed always that we are alone, you know, we feel we're on this journey by ourselves. So a sort of disconnection. Uh, do you think motherhood is to some extent, it's both a, a, a new connection, obviously, with your children, but it's a disconnection, isn't it, from the life you had before? Definitely. You know, motherhood is as rewarding as it is. I don't think anything could ever equate to the joys of motherhood. Or sometimes the despairs of it. Yes, I was just about to, to mm. get to that. Many of them mentioned the fact that they, since they've become mothers, they felt a disconnection from the outside world, they, that life has revolved around their children and they have no life outside of that. It's like they have um, living in this cocoon that they don't speak to other adults. They've lost their connection with their job. There was one particular um, friend, we've become friends, she's, she's done our website, but actually she's a really talented lady from Bangladesh. And she, one of her children has, uh, she's got three kids under the age of six. 
and one of them has special needs. And she's worked in quite a few corporate organisations before and um, been here for a couple of years. But uh, when we first met, she she mentioned that she is looking for volunteer work because this is her lifeline. This was her connection to her work. And, you know, I, we needed someone to help us out with IT. And I was so grateful and telling her, you know, how much this meant to me. And every time she felt down or um, her little one was in, a, in and out of hospital or I say, it's okay, you know, um, you know, take your, she goes, no, just hit me with CSS. <laughs> no, don't talk. How are you going? She goes, yeah, just quick, quick, quick. Give me CSS now. I need something. So it was the joy they were getting from helping was filling a gap or a void that they they felt they needed that connection to uh, recharge and, and be a mum again. You tell, know? tell people who don't know what CSS stands for. Well, CSS stands for Community Support Services Incorporated. Um, we're a non-for-profit organisation that's definitely non-faith-based and um, helps uh, marginalised uh, communities. So, Mona, of course, I first got to know you uh, because I um, have a tiny little not-for-profit and we were introduced to your community support services in Bankstown as a great program to support. So, I went out to Bankstown. I Gosh, it's it's just eye-opening when you've come from another part of Sydney. Eclectic, incredibly lively. Um, and right next to the station, I went up a, a flight of stairs, fairly steep stairs, Mona, I must say, uh, <laughs> to the top where you'd renovated. Uh, what is it's actually part of an old shopping centre, which will eventually be pulled down, but you'd got a great rent out of the landlord and you were doing it up. When I say doing it up, you were actually getting behind the wheel of a truck and going and picking up donated carpet tiles to put on the floor there. You had rooms full of donated sewing machines where you ran courses. I was just blown away. Where do you get the motivation to do this? Because it hasn't been easy, has it? No, it hasn't been easy at all. But um, I know it sounds a bit cliche, but um, I feel like I'm a, a woman with a vision on a mission. I honestly do. I feel like this is something I have to do. Many of the sewing machines I actually bought from garage sales and flea markets myself. I've been collecting a lot of the um, material and the uh, sewing art and craft things and they had been in storage for a while. So all these, um, a lot of these programs have been in my head for quite quite some time. I didn't know how they were going to come to life, but initially I thought, you know, sewing machines, that would be really amazing if we teach women how to become resourceful, how to, um, especially when, when there are some uh, who put a call out, you know, I, I don't have clothes for the kids or I would, and we put a call out for them and go, I wonder if we can recycle these clothing or we can get to get them to be a bit savvy with, you know, taking something in or uh, adding a zipper or especially with the, um, with the environment, the fast fashion industry. So I, I'm quite mindful of that. And every time I find something, a bargain, I go and get it. I'm out of pocket. <laughs> Enough bargains, mum, I hear my kids say. And also the village pantry, which has been extraordinary, where you provide food uh, to people at a very discounted rate and you go and collect it yes. and get it upstairs, don't you? Yes, definitely. Uh, we are actually quite 
thankful uh, to Second Bite and uh, Food Bank, who, uh, and we're also signed up now with Foodworks in Yaguna and a couple of other small stores if, um, who donate some uh, food to us. And we, we only ask for a donation in return. And some people don't even have the gold corn donation to have it. So we, we get, we, we've uh, rescued over uh, one and a half tons of food that w- would have been in the bin. Yeah, it's gone to waste, which is perfectly edible food. Um, we get over 100 kilos of bread per day, and that's just from one one um, coals, just one branch of coals. So can you imagine how many other branches are? Uh, and, and when we miss a day for whatever reason, it really itches me and think, oh, my God, you know, we, we couldn't make it today. But uh, I used to do the pickup six days a week. However, now we've got an amazing group of volunteers who have taken it up upon themselves to go and, and do the pickups in the morning, which has definitely made a big, uh, big difference. For those of us who haven't had Catherine's advantage of actually going and seeing community support services, so in this area, which is a rescued kind of um, surf, supermarket, is that right? Or oh, no, it's, it's, it's an, an office. office. It's an office, office above. above an old supermarket, right. Yeah. And um, it's it, you have craft works, you do sewing, and you also provide food that people can uh, buy with a gold coin donation or if they haven't even got that, they can just take what they need. Um, what else do you do in this um, magical space? Well, uh, we were lucky enough to, f- uh, to have this massive space. It's 344 square metres. It's eight rooms, uh, to be exact, which we've painted ourselves. And my family has helped me, you know, like every single corner of that space has our sweat and tears. Um, My husband, I I was designing the carpet in different, because they had carpet tiles, so I was designing it in a, every room had to have its feel. So I had this room, I was going to run workshops and presentations and so this one we had to have this corporate kind of feel, but a bit soft. And then we had the the sewing room, which I call the creativity room, which had a bit of a pop of colour. And so I, I wanted to. I thought about every single detail while designing these rooms um, to 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 give it that feel. You know, how do how do people want to feel when they're into this? We're in this space. So we have the creative uh, the creative room where uh, we run art and craft and sewing and um, and women can just turn up or do you have classes? So we have some classes. Um, so at, recently we've just finished last term uh, a sewing class where women learned how to thread a sewing machine. Uh, they did the covers for a sewing machine and they learned the basic skirt. They also uh, so they finished for this term. Next term we've partnered up with TAFE. And we'll be going. To, we're, we're running a voc ed um, program for them. It's sort of half English, uh, conversational English, and half uh, sewing. Uh, we're also looking into running floristry courses, and we've just finished a, a candle making, soap making, and diffuser course uh, that we've done in partnership with Ability Links. So, with the idea of. Uh or obviously giving social connection to the women who you found were isolated and feeling lonely and all of that kind of thing, but also with an eye to what do they do when their children get a bit older, go to school, and they have more time. Exactly. I meet a lot of women who love their children dearly, and we all do, but I sort of disagree with over-loving your child because at the end of the day, they we don't own our children. Our children have their own journey and they're going to have their wings and fly. You know, uh, 
many women tell me, oh, my kids are my life. You know, and I stop and try to correct them and say, your kids are a big part of your life, but you should have a life of your own. And many of us as women, as mums, haven't experienced that because we, I think it's, it could be a cultural thing or it could be, uh, it's a misconception, I don't know, but many of the women that I, I meet with find it quite difficult to think of themselves as an entity. But I suppose, as you say, that's that's partly it. Many cultures actually reinforce that, don't they? That, you know, women are sort of there for the family, uh, the, first the and foremost. The support network but, for others. Yes, exactly. Mm. But um, speaking of that, I mean, you were a high school teacher, weren't you? You went to university and studied was it business and yeah, IT. Yeah, got a Bachelor then, of Commerce in IT. Yeah. yeah I did, did you like teaching? I love teaching. So I, I got into... Uh, IT because my father wanted me to do it and I wanted to keep him happy at the time. But in my last year at uni, I um, I started doing uh, some part-time work, uh, teaching uh, mature age students and I absolutely loved it. It came at a time as well where I was, uh, I applied for quite a few positions in the IT department and I was rejected. So it was very disheartening. I didn't have any IT experience. Not too sure. I, I, I applied for so many city jobs, corporate jobs, and maybe that wasn't the uh, avatar they were looking for. Um, so I being you disheartened. Think they might have been a little bit of they had a different image in their head as to who they were going <laughs> to Yes, I, I totally agree with that because there were a couple of, um, I was shortlisted a few times. This was 20 or 25 odd years ago and I was shortlisted a few times and they go, oh, Mona, just rock up, you know, you've got the job and and the poor, the look on their faces when they see me in my attire and, and I go, Mona, oh, come in. <laughs> I knew I wasn't going to get the job. But anyway, think that's the hijab effect? <laughs> I think it is. Yeah. I think it was. And now there's um, more, more ladies yeah. in the, you know, more, more um, hijabis in the area and we've become more popular. But I think at that time it wasn't that popular. But uh, it was a good thing that I didn't get it because I'm not a ve- I'm a very people person and sitting behind a screen all the time wasn't going to be fulfilling for me. Programming and, you know, just sitting in front of a screen for eight hours a day, seeing code, you know, sort of uh, running code all day. It's um, not me. So um, I was happy that I did find something that, made me happy and uh, I enrolled in a master's in teaching, secondary, and it was a two-year degree. Um, You could exit in the first year with a diploma or continue with a master's. And one month before I, um, the diploma, I get a call from a random person. Hi, Mona, you don't know who I am, but do you want a full-time position as a high school teacher? And I said, um, excuse me, who's this? To go, I'm so and so. Do you really want to? I said, yeah. Like, can you tell me more? And uh, yeah, I I went for the interview. I never ended up finishing my masters because it was a full. You got the job. Yeah, I got mm. the job. Mm. Yeah, I got the job, and I worked there for about five years. And mm. of course, education has been such an important part of what you're offering with the centre, hasn't it? As yes. you've often told me, you know, education, uh, giving women the, the means to have financial, a uh, bit of financial independence, but teaching, a whole ra- array of skills, um, which you've been doing, how to write a job application letter, which of course you've done some courses in at yes. the centre yes. for younger people, yes. um, men and women. 
Yes, we have. Even though we we focus on fa- mainly women and children, but we've uh, we've had quite a few. Uh, we've trained quite a few men in in admin work uh, and in retail. So they stock up the produce that when we get it. So if you actually come at one point of time seeing the drop off of the uh, the food, they're standing. It's like an army. They know when <laughs> someone is coming in uh, five minutes before they arrive. Uh, I'll be there in a minute because there's a lo- no loading dock. So we just run really quickly. <laughs> we don't want to fight. It's the human supply chain, isn't it? Yes. I know. Yeah. So they all stand with their crates ready to bang, bang, bang. It's out there and then they stand past the parcel because, as you said, it's quite steep, yes. the stairs. So they pass the parcel, take it out, and in less than two minutes, I kid you not, Everything is out of the car. That's mm. like over 150 kilos worth of bread and produce out of the car in less than two minutes. Your volunteers are a pretty amazing bunch and they've continued to grow. You have a lot of people volunteering, don't you? Yes. And did that sort of level of enthusiasm, which built up pretty quickly because the centre's not been running too long, it's not beginning of 2018, are you surprised by that level of uh, energy that's come in there? Initially I was, Mm -hmm. but um, talking to to our volunteers, I feel like even though I feel they've given us and given CSS it's gone up just so many levels and that rapid growth is definitely, you know, because of the the manpower and the women power, the labour that we've got in there. Most of our volunteers are women. However, what they, what I feel that they're actually taking a lot more than they're giving. So when you when you give and you, you do good, there's nothing to equate to that that awesome feeling of giving and um, helping somebody out. So we've got this person, which I'm, call, I'm going to call John, in his late late 70s, who just pops by. He's into, he's very into uh, drawing and he just comes by and sits down. We make him a coffee and in, and he says, you know, he, make, he does his prayer and he draws Jesus on the board every now and then and, and tells us how happy he is. He just looks at me and I said, oh, do you need anything? He said, no, I just want to tell you I'm so happy to be here. I said, we're so happy to have you here. He's just lonely. He doesn't have anybody. He just comes by every now and then just to, to draw something or to scribble whatever or, or be getting prayed or he talks to somebody and have a has a chat. And but he doesn't have any family. He doesn't have anyone. And CSS has become this bumping space for people. You know, whether whether it's a, a young a young child coming back from school who wants to study and doesn't have that um, quiet space at home, or um, it needs extra extra work with uh, assignments and, and homework. Or someone who's uh, an artist. Uh, her name is Eliki, and I, I, I really want to get her name out there. She's an amazing artist who got into art school uh, last year. She's only eighteen, but she had she's been volunteering for the art program. Um, we I call it art therapy on Sundays, where she teaches students um, how to draw for two hours every every single Sunday. She's never let me down. Um, she's been phenomenal. And um, and she's got her own journey as well, but she's been phenomenal, connected really well with the kids. I'm really 
interested in something you said earlier. It's been going round and round in my head. And that is this idea that some women find it hard to see themselves as a separate entity. You mean almost like a a complete person. So they uh, they see themselves in relation to what they're doing for others or um, their relationship to husband, children, yes. rather than themselves. Yes. From a cultural perspective, let's let's take Middle Eastern women, and we can't generalise, no, of, of course, course but, you know, from a cultural perspective, we can say that women uh, in the Middle Eastern society are seen to be, they, they form a big part of society. Uh, however, um, they don't see themselves as that way. You know, um, men... Men are known to have the upper hand, you know, whether it's uh, culturally or religiously, both in the Christian and Muslim faith and the Jewish faith, mm. which is understandable in some senses, And but sometimes they're also taken out of context. Women tend to be doing a lot for the community and for them, for uh, their families, for their husbands, for for their work. So let, let's take an Egyptian woman for mm. uh, for by uh, just as a and that's an your example. background. That's isn't my it? background. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I was born and raised in Australia, but I did live in Egypt for five years when I got married. And my husband is an overseas trained surgeon, and um, I did see many of the the Egyptian women. Um, they worked but they had all the responsibility of looking after their children. They're very hardworking. Kids had to get to school at 7am in the mornings, which meant that mum's always up at six, um, doing their lunches, making sure they get to school. Um, then they go to work. After they go to work, they uh, go and pick up the kids from school or go uh, go shopping, get all the, the groceries and everything for, for dinner, um, then take the kids back. Tutoring is a big thing in Egypt. So after they come... They either sit at the kitchen table and make sure the kids finish their homework and then uh, either take them to tutoring and then come back, you know, um, quite late at night and make sure the kids go back to bed and, and then repeat. So there's no time really for mum, but they don't feel, you know, acknowledged like the burning candle. And this is something I'm trying to change Um I'm trying. I'm really, really trying to change. And when I get some women saying that, I feel like snap out of it. You know, just snap. You are you. You've got to find who you are. But when you tell them that, they don't know who they are because they've always been part of, you know, other people's entity. I, th- I think that's common too in in Australian culture as well. Um, I've often thought that. Uh, the traditional way of looking at yourself as a woman is that you have to earn your right to exist by what you do to be of service to others, whereas men don't have that problem. They just have a right to exist. But women are always feeling that they have to earn that right. And I don't know that it's, I think we're better perhaps pretending it's not like that anymore, but I still think Well, in the workplace, it certainly is. Women are constantly asked to reprove, if you like, that they have the wherewithal, you know, to do what they're doing. And uh, it's still the same. And Mm. I think that's very true. What interests me, Mona, um, is when we talk about these issues and your incredible desire to change that, where did that come from, do you mm. think? Where, where from your background and history do you think, what has motivated you to help people understand that and try and change it? It's a, a very confronting question and um, it will bring my vulnerability. Um, yeah, it's quite vulnerable, but I will share it anyway. Because I went through uh, a stage in my, in my life where I went through depression, severe depression. And at that stage, 
um, and when I started therapy, um, she gave me a piece of paper and said, write the things that make you happy. And not one thing on that piece of paper was related to me at all. It was all about my children, my family, my husband, their happiness, their success, which is all good. But when I was asked, you know, uh, what I just want something about you. I go, yeah, but like all this, if, if nothing, yeah, you're right. Okay, so I took another piece of paper and I had to sit down and I had to think really, really hard. What is it that makes me happy? And then I got to the question is, where am I? Okay, so where am I? What makes me happy? And if it was felt like I was discovering myself from from the beginning, born again? I don't mm. know. And the butterfly was born. It's, it's so interesting. I, I've spent a lot of time in therapy myself with anxiety and depression, and I regard the therapeutic, the successful therapeutic relationship as a kind of reparenting. It is, it is as if you bring yourself up again um, as a healthier adult. Yes. Um, as opposed to, and your parents never meant to. Uh, no, they just didn't know. No. They didn't know any better. This is how they were raised. Yes. And this is, but the, the thing is, you've got to. You've got to break that cycle and people and mothers need to understand that looking after yourself is not a, it's not selfish. It's not, uh, it's not, it's not a question. It's not questionable. This is a priority. This is a high priority. You recharge everything. You recharge your phone. If you move a fridge, you've got to leave it for a little while until you put it back in. Um, you can't run, you know, you change your, your brake every now and then. Otherwise, if it'll damage it'll your tyres, it will fail. Mm. You, you need to put petrol every now and Everything, even mechanical things, need recharging and let alone us as human beings being this amazing miracle, walking miracle, emotional, physical and, you know, psychological being uh, that needs to recharge emotionally, physically and, you know, we, we've got to look after us and I'm learning as well. You know, I'm, I'm reprogramming myself to feel okay to be able to assign myself to this is a priority, self-care is a priority. It's not. It's not a question. It's not questionable at all. Mm. It's not an option. No, Mona, it's not an option. Yeah, Mona, have you seen um, the penny drop? I suppose for some of the women that you've been dealing with at the centre, because I, I just was so fascinated when I was there, there to hear their stories and you know very difficult backgrounds. Some of them, but some of them were really on that journey as well. I felt, and I'm sure you've heard from from some of them that they've started to take that seriously and refocus as well. Yes, um, and this is what keeps me going. When you hear, when you see that penny drop, when you see that um, just a silent hug, uh, or someone tearing up, or someone just coming to shake my hand and say, "Mona, you know, thank you so much," or someone, I hear this quite a lot. You know, Mona, you're you're really inspiring, and I don't see myself as inspiring. I don't see myself as someone who's doing something extraordinary. I'm. I'm, I, I see, I honestly see myself as someone who is really very ordinary, who's trying to, to make an extraordinary difference in other people's lives. And if it, if it means I'm just helping one person, then be it. Because of the struggles I went through, and I'm, 
I'm so grateful for having gone through them because they have they have made me so empathetic. They've made me so um, understanding of what other people are going through. They've made me um, aware of um, the financial, emotional and physical needs for these struggling women, families, children. They've made me aware of the services that actually work and the ones that don't. So um, as you were asking before, you know, women that I met at the park or whatever, I, I had this little resource book in my bag just in case I met someone uh, who needed any any kind of help. Mm. And usually I, I did meet someone who, who needed, so I became like a mobile caseworker. <laughs> it's funny, I often think that when you're in a certain stage yourself, it's often what you attract. I know um, exactly what you mean about saying you're so grateful because I suffered from a, a, a quite horrible form of OCD for a long time and I thought I was going crazy and that it was, if I could have wished it away, I would have. But now I look back on it, I think it was the healthiest part of me and it was the part that taught me how to be the person I am today and it was going through that and coming to understand it and therefore understand myself so much better that um, made me able to understand others. So I completely, everything, every word you said resonated very much with me. Thank you. Mona, um, as I say, being at the centre a few times, a couple of times, I've been uh, walked away just amazingly energised and you've always been telling me about your plans, what you're <laughs> going to do next. What What are the things that you'd like to do? You, you've got your own little podcast, The Village, um, you know, you, you're doing the wonderful The Pantry, you've got the courses going. What's the next thing that you'd like to do? Um, short term, we'd like to have our own truck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just misusing uh, what a plan. and I'm using my um, my little van. Uh, if we have a refrigerated truck, we'd be able to to get more produce. So we don't get any dairy products, or and we, we we're not allowed oh, to get any right. anything from the deli or milk or you know cheese and that and, and poultry. So if we had a refrigerated truck, we would. Uh, well, Definitely. you heard it here first, listeners. That's right. <laughs> Anyone with Donations. a refrigerated truck. Or if you've got one. And we've got DGR status, so we're tax deductible. Very important. But I would say uh, my my long-term plans, and I uh, I wouldn't say be too long-term, I think, you know, five-year plans would be to own our own home. Mm. Because uh, I keep thinking what's going to happen in two years' time when they demolish our space. Where are we going to go? Um, so if someone has this old space that they're no longer using, you know, we can use it as the, our bumping hub, you know, where we, we teach kids, um, you know, support kids who are disengaging from school with homework and assignments and have fun educational programs for them. So we're actually running the uh, holiday program at the moment for kids. Um, we'll have our sewing program there where we can... I'm hoping to run a social enterprise where they can upcycle material and things that are usually gone into landfill. Uh, we're also looking into, you know, having like a mini supermarket where it's not just like a village pantry. It would be the village supermarket where they can come and shop with dignity at a, um, a very small price. So, um, and like uh, having sport and health and wellness. So it's like a, a holistic place to look after the whole family. So usually we know what, what struggles mum, uh, mums are going through. So, 
we look, we take mum in one room and we do our workshops together. So I'm also a life coach and a business coach. So I, I sort of try and trickle it in whenever we're doing a mum circle or, you know, we say a few things and we identify, you know, what are the needs of these mums, whether it's sort of referral services or um, things that we can offer uh, at CSS. And then we've got her kids next door who are doing their homework and we're helping with whatever they're doing and the little ones are being in the childminding room. So it's then at the end they can take some food home and go and it's just, you know, it's holistic. You take the whole family uh, together as a whole. So it's people asked me or, or continue to ask me, Mona, you're not focused. What are you doing at CSS? It's just not, you don't have one kind of thing, whereas some people, I just have this um, non-for-profit that just does education or a non-for-profit that just um, does sewing or, or, or. The problem is it's not holistic. It doesn't solve all the problems. And I'm not saying that I solve all the problems, but for me as a mum and, and the mums that I meet are usually struggling with quite a few things. Okay, so I have no money to buy food. I can't give them money, but I can offer them food. Okay, but I, what is it that actually stops you from attending workshops, from attending social events, from attending? Okay, um, I've got a little baby. All right, we'll look after the baby for you, but just come. So what you're doing, Mona, is looking at providing all of those strands, if you like, that allow women, mothers in the community who want to come in and contribute, learn skills, connect, to do so. And you're looking at it with a very, you know, women's perspective. And I think that's still quite rare. So even though the not-for-profit space and social enterprises have some wonderful things happening in particular areas, it's actually taken a woman who's recognised the problems, the problems around isolation, and actually come up with some ways that those women can actually contribute. Well, you're actually mothering the mothers because mothering is not a focused, it's not. Mothering no. is this needs doing, that needs doing. Oh, my God, this needs doing over here. It's exactly it's me. Like, <laughs> and, and, and so to approach it with a, um, you know, we're going to fix this problem and we won't worry about all the rest is not helpful. It's not actually helpful because that's not what mothers are dealing with. So it's wonderful to hear a kind of mothering view of mothering but that also values the mother because it's perfectly reasonable that new human beings see their mother as an extension of themselves. It's part of their development to, to, to know that that isn't actually true as they get older. But it's not reasonable for other adults to see mothers as an extension of themselves. They are separate. And I think it's fantastic what you're doing. I'll have to come and visit. Yes, oh, you will. Yeah. And you know what? You will not regret it. It is an incredible, what you've done is just wonderful. And I've, I've been so grateful to actually have had a little bit of insight into it and to get you know, get to know you, Mona. It's been a real privilege. Thank you for coming in today. Thank you very, for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. Good. We, we, we always want our guests to have a good time because we always do. <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely um, worth my while coming in here. Thank you so much. Thanks. Women with Clout is presented by Jane Caro and me, Catherine Fox, and created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Liv Crown, theme music composed and performed by David Beckingham. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au, download the Podcast One app, or search Women with Clout on Apple Podcasts.